0: Hi there, and welcome to the Love Scribe Podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the One who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Scribe. Can you hear the breath of God in challenging times? I have a word for those of you standing in a place of seeming entrapment. The Lord directed me to Exodus 14 recently and he revealed some prophetic teaching about Red Sea moments. There are some of you being set up for such a moment as this, and your Red Sea moment holds the breath of God to make a way for victory. This was part of a word that I wrote back in 2017, and it was shared on Charisma's site. Now, I just recently came across it, and it was reposted October 25th, 2020. And it says, Prophecy, God is setting you up for a Red Sea moment. Now, I really don't enjoy reading this. <laughs> and I'm from time to time, I'm going to cover some of the old things that I wrote and critique them and test them against Scripture, which that's what we should be doing with anything that's coming out that's being said to have come from God. And I also today want to look at Scripture in depth. This whole Red Sea moment jargon has been used many times, and I'm going to play just a couple of clips for you, very short clips, talking about the Red Sea moment that have been done in the past year or two. I'm just going to share little excerpts from those, quote, prophetic words. But this saying of the Red Sea moment is something that has been thrown around a lot. And I want to look at scripture today and talk about what the actual meaning of it is and what it points to, because that is far more powerful than any prophetic word that someone's going to give today to try to point back to ourselves. Now, I'm titling this about narcissus in the Red Sea. Having heard that word, narcissus, you may be wondering where that came from. So I'm not sure where the origin of it came from. I think it came about in the past several years. But it is a mixture of being a narcissist with uh, the end of the word that you find for exegesis or eisegesis, the G-E-S-I-S. So narcissus. So the difference between those would be exegesis is pulling the interpretation of the passage of Scripture out. And explaining it. What is written in the text and stating what the interpretation of that text is that you can find in that passage. Eisegesis is when you are reading into the text. You're, you're putting things, inserting things in there that aren't there. The third one is narcegesis, which that's what I titled this podcast was Jesus in the Red Sea. And the reason why I said Jesus was because Jesus is making the passage all about yourself. And when I read this word that I had written several years ago, I noticed that there is a leaning towards narcissus. that really it's about us. The passage is about us, and that's the focus. And so for those that have been in these types of movements, there is an easy tendency to flock to anything that's really pleasant that is um, self uh, self uplifting. That is self exalting, and is really focused on on how how we're going to fare, which is going to be for our favor, right? People tend to flock to that. I mean, you look at. If you were to present, well, hey, let's do a Bible study on Exodus. Let's look at what the historical account showed. This is a descriptive account. It would be good to know that there's a difference between descriptive versus prescriptive passage of Scripture. When looking at this word, I wanted to talk about it today because when I started doing a little bit more research on uh, on other people that have said uh, talked about the Red Sea moment, it's not the first time that I have heard it in the past year or two. When I wrote this in 2017, I can recall writing this and thinking I was hearing from the Lord but really this is not testifying of what's truly in here now there are some things that I wrote in here when I went back and fact checks a few of the things that I wrote I don't know where the sources were that, that they came from which isn't that convenient I mean if someone is stating that a certain word means something I think that we should be held accountable to that so I'm 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 judging myself on this I should have been held accountable to that in citing the 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 source where I got my information to say such a statement. But when I started doing more research on it, I actually found that there was some truth to that. But just because there's some truth in, t- in a little bit of something like this doesn't mean that it is truth. And that's the danger in things like this is that there can be a little bit of truth in it and people grab on to the little bits and pieces of truth. And they say, well, then it's legitimate, but it's not legitimate. <laughs> Um, just because that there's little bits of truth, the whole thing must be testifying of truth in general and leading people back in the right direction. And unfortunately, a word like this that I wrote is leading people back to self. God's in the back seat; he's like a back seat passenger, and he's approving of all this and he's helping us. But really, the whole thing's about us, right? Wrong this is not the first time that this has been said about the red sea moment there's a 2021 prophetic word that was released by an individual called the red sea moments And it says at the beginning, quote, 2020 has left Christians standing in a Red Sea moment. Believers can press forward and continue to trust God to lead us through the uncertainties of the future or return to the uncertainties of slavery. When the enemy can no longer scare us into slavery, he will tempt us into it by convincing us that slavery is our salvation. And then they go on to quote Exodus 14, 10 through 12. They interpret a little bit of it of what they say that it means. And then they go on to talk about Exodus 14, verses 13 through 16. And then they say, "Quote, the new year is a year that the Moseses, God's prophets are called to lift up their staffs, authority in parentheses, and stretch out their hands, provisions in parentheses, and divide the obstacles that stand before us." My people have fallen into slavery, says the Lord. This is this person speaking on the Lord's behalf and saying this. I have come to open their blind eyes to see the shackles which they have allowed the enemy to place on them. The shackles of false promises of and false provisions. I have come to open the the deaf spiritual ears of my people, says the Lord. They will no longer be comforted by the lullaby of the enemy. Wake up, children. Wake up. I have come to break off the chains of pride and entitlement, which has caused my children to become complacent and lazy, says the Lord. Arise and take back the land you traded for comforts, false comforts and broken promises. I have come with a commandment to my children to humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, says the Lord. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. They're speaking on behalf of the Lord and they're quoting scripture in there. I have loosed the tongues of my prophets, says the Lord. They will dream my dreams, see my visions and speak my fiery, refined words, let those with eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive, uh, see, hear, and receive a fresh outpouring and manifestation of my spirit. And they go on and on. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes the prophetic words that come out, they seem like they're very long. You're kind of wondering, wow, this is, this is amazing. Why don't I hear God like this? So this next text that I'm going to read to you from a prophetic word is on um, a place called Standing for Freedom. And the word was released by a very well-known individual in the movement I was part of on July 7th, 2021. It says, what is our Red Sea moment? This individual said, through this amazing passage of Exodus 14... Uh, The Lord spoke to me that this is where we are in America. Many prophets have used the analogy of Israel and the Red Sea to describe the church in this season. Our backs are to the wall. It appears that the God of this world has outsmarted and overpowered ours, and it looks as though Satan has taken over the nation. But Yahweh once again has other plans. He will release his authority over this nation, just as he did over Israel at the Red Sea, and demonstrate that he is the Lord. Now, this individual um, is talking about the election. They're talking about the political atmosphere the that's going on in our in the United States this is what they're referencing a lot of the uh prophets in this movement were really focused on this after right after the election and into 2021 still claiming that Trump was going to be president still t- claiming that there was there were two presidents still claiming that he was spiritually the president and trying to um get out of the whole fact that their prophecies didn't come to pass so a lot of this stuff was going on. So this is what this individual is talking about. Yahweh is about, he says in here, Yahweh is about to expose the evil plans of the God of this world and his allies. Uh, he has allowed them to gain ground temporarily in order to expose their deception, antichrist ways, leftist ideals, and even, uh, idiocy, but he will strike in his zeal, power and determination to reap the coming great harvest. God must have a strong America that honors him in order to accomplish this. And he will do that. Do not doubt this America shall be saved. Just pause right there and think about that really. It's not about saving the nations, but it's about saving individuals and um, focusing on uh, focusing on Christ in in individual salvation people individual people coming to saving faith in Christ so he goes on to say a little bit more um he's talking about he references exodus fourteen four about how God will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And this individual says this ex- is exactly what happened. Honored is the Hebrew word kabod, which is the word for glory. Whenever I would just suggest to you in the future, if you're able to, when if if you come across these things like this for research purposes or um what have you when you're listening or seeing these words you need to take time to open your bible to test things and you also need to be finding out if this is what these words really mean uh god he says god actually said he would glorify himself as he dealt with pharaoh and this false god well that is true and so he's he's restating something that isn't found in, in scripture and some scholars believe when Yahweh said the egyptians would know that he was the lord this was not simply a statement about proving he was in charge It was rather a demonstration of his grace to the Egyptians who were deceived and in bondage, following false gods who could not save them. And when God shows himself strong in America, he will be honored and glorified. So he talks about uh, Exodus 14, 4, about how God would harden Pharaoh's heart, and he acknowledges the fact that... Uh, indeed, that God would be glorified as he dealt with Pharaoh and this false God. That is true. And he goes on to say that when God shows himself strong in America, he will be honored and glorified. Millions of people will realize the folly of their ways and that Christ is their Redeemer. But really, this word is all centered on him wanting and other people wanting their own person that they elected into office and and really uh, frazzled at the fact that their prophetic words didn't come to pass. Now, the last one I'll share with you, and then I'll share a few video clips, and then I'm going to get into the stuff that I wrote down. And then we're going to get into what true, again, true prophecy, which is scripture. So this one comes off the Elijah list. This is fresh off the press for this month in January of 2022 from a very well-known individual that I've covered before on another podcast about the Seven Mountain Mandate. This says, from crossing out of to crossing into, we win in 2022. I feel like I'm reading a Dr. Seuss book whenever I hear the rhyming. I don't know if anybody else feels that way, and I'm not trying to be rude. Um, but when I hear the the rhyming of that in, in prophetic words, I feel like, how old are we? Like, are we reading Dr. Seuss' book? I will not. I will not eat them in a box, I will not eat them with a fox, I I will not do that, um, Sam I am, so anyway, sorry, I just a little comic relief there, because sometimes I, I have to have some comic relief at times when I'm looking at some of these things, I'm going to be covering a topic next week, and it may take two episodes to do this. I think this is Prophecy Month for for me to cover things in January. The month of January is Prophecy Month. Really, I I want to cover some of these things, and it's painful sometimes to cover them because of the amount of deception that's coming in uh, in people that people are latching onto and really veering away from Scripture and veering away from the truth of the Word, and they're adopting New Age practices, occultic practices, it's really, it's got nasty tentacles. It's reaching into uh, these areas and the people are being led astray or maybe they don't even know God at all. They don't know Christ. And, and the the basis is they really need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. If someone, if we're questioning what someone is believing, then we need to take them back to the foundation, which is the gospel, and make sure that they're even saved. I know I've mentioned the scripture before, but 2 Corinthians thirteen five that Paul tells the Corinthian church, uh, he's talking to them about another matter, but he says, you know, you need to test yourself to see if you're even in the faith. And that's what we all should be doing is making sure that we are testing ourselves to see if we're in the faith in in matters. When we begin to believe certain things and, and we can't find them in Scripture, then we need to make sure that what we're believing is the truth, that it testifies of Christ because true prophecy testifies of Christ. So starting next week, and it may take two weeks because it's a lot of information, um sometimes I find myself having to have some sort of comic relief because of the 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 grief that comes with seeing these things, the frustration, the manipulation, the deception. So forgive me for my facetious uh, comments at times, but I hope it is some comic relief to those that have come out of this because it can be frustrating and it can be it can be um, aggravating to honestly, to continue to see these things and to know that people are being led astray. And my goal in doing these things is to get people to wake up (laughs) if they're going to listen and also to go back to scripture, not listen necessarily to me, but go back to scripture and see what's what the Bible has to say. As a believer, that's our foundation. If it's not our foundation and our foundation is experiences, encounters, dreams, visions, trances, um, our own thoughts that we try to transcribe and say that they're God's thoughts, um, you know which the bible clearly tells us that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways that we don't understand god's thoughts and ways they're not we they're not our own then we really need to be looking at what we're believing so Anyway, this last person, um, starts talking about this crossing out of to crossing into we win in 2022, but Jesus went, Christ wins. That's the, that's the main thing. When we look at scripture, Christ wins, it's his victory. It's really his victory because he is God. All right. So this person talks about that. I, I'm just now starting to begin to read this word. Cause I actually just read where they talked about the second crossing, Um, That this person had talked much about the rescue from heaven, a Red Sea moment such as the children of Israel experienced, um, and that this was the crossing led by Moses where the, the pursuing chariots of Pharaoh in Egypt were destroyed by the Red Sea. And they say this, quote, this rescue operation has been very applicable for our present world circumstances and is still in process. No, actually Exodus 14 took place a long time ago and it has a meaning that they're not talking about here and uh, it's not still in process. So, and I I get... And I, and listen, and I hope you hear me on this. I know that some people will say, well, th- they mean it in a, in a figurative way. Like the Red Sea moment's not a real Red Sea moment where the Red Sea's going to part. They mean it in a figurative way. Like uh, all of us face individual challenges where we feel like that we're not going to get out or, you know, we, we've been in this time the past couple of years with all the chaos that's been going on and madness and, and, and issues that we feel like we're encamped, uh, that we're in this encampment and then we're entrapped and the enemies got us really in a tough situation and that we're going to have victory. And that's what that means. It's just figurative. But some of these people don't really believe that. They, they're they not talking in a figurative way per se. They really think we're like modern day or they think they're the modern day Moses that they, are, they, they truly are a modern day prophet with authority, with governmental authority. And you're gonna hear this in just a moment in one of these clips. In a way, I get the figurative, I guess, in a small small way of saying, you know, using that as a cliche type thing of saying, oh, I'm in a Red Sea moment. But really, that's not doing anybody any good because there was only one Red Sea moment and it was in Exodus 14. And again, it has explicit biblical, Christological meaning, and it's really going to encourage you far more than any of this stuff that you're ever going to read or come across. So this individual is talking about now for 2022, the second crossing, which um, that in 2022, the Lord wants us shifting to the second crossing that Israel had to do, which was the Jordan River crossing into the promised land. Again, that has typology to it of Christ, of of eternal significance as far as believers, God's people coming into the promise of eternal life that can only be found through faith in Jesus Christ. But this person is, is, again, trying to apply it, Jesus, apply it to today and say it's all about us. It's it's about how we're going to get victory and now how we are supposed to cross the Jordan River and we are going to go into the promised land. He says that crossing was led by Moses's protege Joshua. The first crossing was an exit or exodus, whereas the second was an entrance into the new. This will be the increasing focus in 2022. Again, more rhyming, but I, I was just looking and this person was talking about the dogs winning, the Georgia Bulldogs winning in the national championships, and talking about uh, a football player and his height and stuff, and making that a prophetic word, it looks like. And then from Crimson Tide to dogs. About the Alabama, okay, anyway, let's move on. So now, now we're gonna hear some video footage of uh, just a a couple of uh, these, actually three of them, and they're gonna be very short clips. The first one I'm gonna play for you is from someone I do not know. I came across this when I was looking up Red Sea Moment. This is a woman. What I want you to get out of this, these video clips that you're about to hear, is that the Red Sea Moment is something that's thrown around and talked about a lot. It's not a new concept it's not a new approach as far as saying something in in prophecy if uh, quote prophecy but this is something that's said on more than one occasion so let's listen to this first little clip the lord saying very clearly that this week is a week of divine intervention for you there are many people who are watching me right now And you're standing in your Red Sea moment, very similar to Moses. You're standing before what seems like an impossible situation with pressure on every side. But let me prophesy to you and tell you that very similar to Moses, you're going to see the parting of the Red Sea. Because the things that are impossible with man are possible with God. In seven minutes, she ran a seven-minute timer. She said she's going to do like a, a fast, a, a rapid fire is what she calls it, a rapid fire prophecy at the beginning of her video. And this, and this is very early in, in the video. She talks about doing a rapid fire prophecy, and then she prophesies the Red Sea moment. The next one I want to talk about is a particular person who professes to be a prophet. And this was on a big, bigger network. I believe it's called Flashpoint if I'm not mistaken. This uh, this particular word was given, and this individual claimed to, he he went to Washington, D.C. Uh, he said somehow, supernaturally, that a staff, a wooden staff, ended up in his hand. He ended up, there's video footage that he recorded and he put on his own site talking about how he prophesied towards the Capitol building and he commanded the Red Sea to part. Ugh. I hope that you're ready to listen to this. So let me play this short clip for you. I'm not going to play the whole thing because it was an hour and so, but it's going to be about uh, 25 seconds, I think I'll play for you. So you can get the gist of the Red Sea moment.
1: So on the way down to the Capitol, he miraculously put a staff in my hand. And so when he placed this staff in my hand, I went on down to the reflecting pool and the Lord said, now stretch this out over that water and point it at the Capitol. Well, that was at 111. It happened at 111. So I picked up my staff, and at 112, I pointed at the Capitol, and I commanded the Red Sea to divide. And that was the party of the Red. And it sure divided. It went crazy right after that. That's when everything broke loose.
0: All right. I'll stop with that. It go- He goes on. When he makes the comment and says, he miraculously put a staff in my hand, he's saying the Lord did that and then he's referencing numbers you can hear which we've talked about that before the, the significance of the 111 going into 112 you you hear this in the, in this particular clip and then the third one i want to play for you is another individual that uh, was uh, that claims to be a prophet and uh, really was adamant about trump being in office again and i'm not making this about trump but this is a lot of this red sea moment stuff that you heard in the past year or so it revolved around, abro- around the, the presidency. So this is the next one I'm going to play for you. So it's a little bit longer, a little over a minute. So let's listen to that one. And then we're going to move on and talk about the Jesus of the prophetic word I wrote a couple years ago.
1: There's going to come a Red Sea moment yeah. where this, this, this is what I want people to just envision this for a minute. You're standing before the Red Sea right now. You look back and you see the enemy coming. You have two choices. You can either retreat and go back to the enemy, which is what most Christians are doing right now. Or you can face the waters. wait for God to part the waters, cross on dry land, because I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to cross on dry land. I'm going to go to the other side, and I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to face the enemy. Mm -hmm. When the enemy's coming, and I'm going to watch God. Watch watch him drown. Swallow him up in that ocean is what I'm going to do. Absolutely. Now, you guys you're welcome to come with me if you want or you can go back over here to the enemy which is where most guys are going right now right so i'm waiting for god to part the waters because that's exactly what's going to happen because this whole thing is a setup so that at the last minute god comes in does a red sea moment it's a miracle from god so that no man can take the credit it will just happen, and it will be God who gets the glory. Absolutely. It's going to be that big.
0: All right, I'm going to make an observation here with this last one. For one thing, when we read in Exodus 14 that we're going to read here in just a little bit, this is really, again, the Bible's about God. It's about Him displaying His His holiness, His righteousness, His mercy, His grace, His love— And it's pointing back to Christ. The Old Testament is revealing what's going to come in the New Testament. It's pointing back to the coming of the Messiah. It's always pointing back to the plan of redemption that God had from the very beginning and things that take place in scripture, you're going to see in the Old Testament, they're types and shadows. They're they're pointing, they're pointing towards Christ. They're pointing towards the plan of salvation, redemption. You can see that unfolding. And though the statement that this last individual made of, well, God's going to show that He's that He's in charge and that He has the victory, what essentially happens though, in these current modern prophetic words is it's when something does come to pass. The individual that said it actually takes credit for it. So really, it's not God getting the glory. It's the person, it's the man or woman that that, want, that gets the glory because that's what they, whether they want to admit it or not, they want to be right. It's not about God being glorified. I know that that will rub people the wrong way a little bit, but you have to think about that. There is such a level of arrogance and pride In this type of word of saying, well, if you want to go down that path, and this is, again, talking about political beliefs. I truly believe that some people that are prophesying out of this political, these political issues, they're prophesying their own. They're stating that God's telling them something when really they're they're stating something out of their own opinions, their own strong held convictions and beliefs, their own frustrations, their own deceitful hearts, essentially, is what I'm getting at. We know in Scripture that Jeremiah talked about the false prophets, the prophets that said things out of the deceit of their own hearts. And this is not taken into account in modern prophecy. Whenever somebody says, well, God told me or God said this to me, then it's taken as, oh, this is the Lord speaking. But then when it doesn't come to pass, there's very little questioning. Or if there is questioning, then people are very upset when you go to question, how dare you question the prophets? How dare you question the man or woman of God? And, and they're speaking on behalf of the Lord when these people have already made it very clear that it's okay to be wrong. I mean, the thing that I'm going to talk about next, the next week, maybe two weeks, you're, (laughs) that you're going to see that unfortunately, is that there is this premise set up of saying, well, you know, we can be right or wrong in prophecy. It's really about learning how to hear the voice of God. but if if I say the Lord said something, then you know I may not be right about it, but still we need to um, to honor that. We need to to believe that that's what God is saying or someone you know makes a YouTube channel or something and all of their videos on the title say, God told me this about such and such. And then they go in their videos and they open up with saying, now I don't hear, I don't claim to hear God perfectly. So, you know, I could be wrong in this, but really we just need to uh, make sure that our hearts are right. Our hearts, you know, I'm going to start getting on a rabbit trail, but you can't have it both ways. You can't say God told me and say the Holy, and, and emphatically say the Holy Spirit told me this. And then in the same breath say, but I could be wrong. But don't get mad at me if I'm wrong, because, you know, you should be judging the word. But if I'm not wrong, if I'm not right, then, you know, just just judge it with your heart or go and pray and ask the Holy Spirit instead of directing that person back to Scripture from the get go and saying, this is true prophecy. And this is what you need to be hearing. And this is what the the Bible has to say instead of constantly craving something new, something fresh and not knowing if that's truly God speaking. So you just heard several different examples of the Red Sea moment. Now, this word that I had written back in 2017 that was recycled, again, October 25th, 2020, probably around the same um, same time frame as all of these things, it looks like it was going on in the presidency, or close to it anyway. It was right before the, the election. I actually went on uh, to write after that first little paragraph that I read to you. So I referenced Exodus 14 in this word, And said that we find that the Israelites have been instructed by God to turn back after coming out of Egypt and encamp before Pi-Haharoth. And if I'm saying that wrong, I apologize. A place meaning the mouth of water. From this area, the Israelites would be facing toward Baal-Zephon, a mountain named after a false god by the Egyptians to be an authority over the water. But that would prove to be powerless against the true living God. Now, that is actually true. I couldn't, again, that was something that I should have cited, the reference for that, and I didn't. So when I went and looked it up online, I found a website called the Association of Biblical Research, and it's an apologetic site, and they talk about Exodus 14 and the meaning of it. The gentleman that wrote about this, he mentions about Baal Zephon, and the meaning of that name is the Lord of the North, because Baal means Lord, Zephon means North. The significance of this particular meaning is not, Some mystical thing. This mountain was named after the false god that the Egyptians in fact did worship. And if we look back in Exodus to the plagues, if you'll do a little bit of digging and studying in order to figure out why there was the particular plagues that there were inflicted on the Egyptians, you're going to find that there were different gods that the Egyptians worshipped. The reason why those plagues were used, the particular ones, was to essentially show who was God who the true living God was, and it was Yahweh. Yahweh was the true living God. Their gods were false. They did not exist. And so every plague was to address a false god. There was a frog goddess, uh, for example, and that the plague of frogs, that was to address the, the, the false god, the false goddess that they had that was the frog goddess. So there were a lot of different gods that the Egyptians worshipped. This was really no different. So this is a good point to make here. I was expecting to tear this word apart, but I was kind of shocked when I went back and looked at it going, oh, I actually said something that was good or true, but that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't validate the rest of what I wrote because we're not going to capture in this word, this quote prophetic word that I wrote, we're not going to take away from it the real meaning of Scripture and really glorifying Christ. It's really going to point back to self and how, you know, we really need to do certain things and that it's all, it's all about us and about us being uh, having victory and such. But that is true. So God's power over false gods was displayed um, in this last area here uh, where the Egyptians believed that the sea was under the control of their god. Baal Zephon, and they named the mountain after him. But he wasn't in control because he's a false god, and God was about to display that to Pharaoh and his army, who he had hardened Pharaoh's heart. So as I go on, I talk about the silence to hear His breath. Now here we go with some Narsa which is again reading yourself into the text. What comes out of you in the midst of adversity? If what comes out of you are words that partner with the enemy, you will never hear the wind of God coming to blow on your situation. There are times when silence is golden before the Lord. Our willingness to get quiet in His presence drowns out fear and doubt trying to surface. The people of God stood in a prophetic moment. Well, in a way they did, but not in what we think, not what we perceive. They had been set up at the mouth of water, and God was getting ready to make a way through the Red Sea with a blast of His nostrils. He wanted their location to speak for them because their mouths were full of defeat. What does that even mean? I mean, I want to take my old self and grab my shoulder sometimes and go, what were you thinking? What? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> That's what I want to do sometimes. Because that last statement, I mean, it, it try to sound pr- so profound, but it's pseudo profound. He wanted their location to speak for them because their mouths were full of defeat. No, he was actually showing who he was. It was already clear they needed saving. And that's the whole thing is that the Israelites are us in type and shadow. For those of us that, that are God's people, God always, there's a theme also too, that God always set a people apart for himself. He wanted a people set apart for himself to have that fellowship, but to glorify him ultimately, to glorify him, to have fellowship, to glorify him. To worship him. He created people set apart for him. So this is a theme that's constant throughout scripture. Setting people apart for himself. But no, he was actually showing who he was. And that the Israelites needed saving. Does that theme sound familiar in the New Testament? Maybe that there were people that were, I don't know, in bondage to sin. Maybe that represents Egypt. And that just maybe, not just maybe, but actually that, yes, that we could see ourselves in the Israelites that are moaning and grumbling and complaining while God recognizes that that we are like Israelites mumbling and groaning and complaining, we need salvation. That's what should be clear from this. Not that he wanted their location to speak for them because their mouths were full of defeat. It was actually speaking to, to say the true living God is about to show that this false God is not God at all, and the Egyptians are going to see that on display in the parting waters coming down on them. So I went on and said, it may feel as if the enemy is bearing down on you, and you may not understand why you are in the place you are now, but God makes a way where there seems to be no way. So there's a lot of generalities in here, some encouraging words. This is not real prophecy, by the way. A lot of generalities, these nice encouraging words, these soothing words, smooth words, And I said, words of doubt and contention will only add to the barrier before you. God wants his people to trust him and to extend their faith like Moses extended his hand over the water so that the barrier is no more. Then I go on to talk about victory comes on the wind of God and said, In the dark of night and in the looming silence from the people of God, the pillar of cloud moved behind the people, becoming a lamp to their feet and a shield from the enemy. The wind of God blew and divided the waters without a drop left behind. The Israelites walked onto dry ground. There was nothing to delay their departure, nothing to entrap them before their enemy. It was a completed work on the path to victory. Okay, so we can see that in general that some of those things are what took place. And I said, you need not wonder if the land you stand on in your Red Sea moment will be dry. Again, Narsa Jesus. We're going back to self here. Again, is this glorifying the Lord? And I'm going to say it again because, and I can say this, well, I could say it even if I hadn't written it, but I had, I wrote this. This is not prophecy. True prophecy testifies of Christ. It's not going to insert these beliefs of, you know, the land you stand on your Red Sea moment is going to be dry and that God does nothing less than the completed work when you trust him. And even when things seem their darkest, Jesus is your light and your salvation. Now, I, I did write that, and that is true. At the same time, I still, I wrestle with with these things like this, because this is this is not true prophecy, and it's really causing people to look inward, to look at self, and to see, oh, this this passage is really about me, and I'm in a Red Sea moment, and I'm going to have victory, and I'm going to walk on dry ground, and I'm going to, hold, extend out my hand, just like Moses did, and I'm going to do these great things. I'm going to extend my faith to believe for the dry ground and the seas to depart, instead of trusting in Christ when you're in a difficult and hard time, or a trial, or a sickness, or an affliction, and still saying, I'm not keeping my eyes on this. I'm I have, My faith is in Christ, and that faith is rooted in him saving me for one thing, from the ravages and the wrath of God, from sin, and to give me the promise of eternal life—that's where our faith is. It's—it's it's not in our own faith. It's not in our own words. It's not in our own belief system and ourselves, or what God is going to do for us per se. Faith is rooted in Him saving us. That's what faith is—is is grounded in. And then I ended with being encouraged today to not despair at those Red Sea moments. Look around. God is displaying his authority over the enemy. He is moving behind you, shedding light on your situation in your darkest moments. He is directing you to the mouth of water so that he can breathe on your impasse, causing it to part before you. He does a completed work so you can cross onto onto ground that will not bog you down, but will carry you to certain victory. He is making his presence known, and he leaves no question as to who is the Lord. Do not despair when you face those Red Sea moments. The Lord is getting ready to fight for you. You need only to be silent and listen for his wind. Though that that does talk about the Lord, I'll be honest with you, when I read back through it now, I think this really pushes self to the forefront and puts God in the background. And it really is focused on us, you know, that we need to look around, that God is displaying his authority over the enemy because he's moving behind us that he is directing he's doing this now and I understand that that some people will take issue with that and they'll say well you know you're kind of splitting hairs or you know he really does help us and he does but I hope that you get the gist of what I'm saying here is that you see a lot of words like this that they though they could be encouraging I really when you start looking at them, it's really pointing back to self. It's not pointing back to Christ. Now I want to look at Exodus 14. In Exodus 14, we need to be going back to scripture. And a good question to ask when you're listening to someone that's talking like this, which I don't really suggest listening to these things and reading these things and Uh, putting your hope in them. But, and especially, especially if someone says to you, what I've said before, that one out of one side of their mouth, they're saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. Well, nobody told you to be perfect. But when prophets of God spoke in the Bible, they were infallible. When God was speaking through them, they were infallible. That's not the person that's infallible. It's God that's infallible. When a prophet of God heard God, they didn't struggle to do it. They didn't have to practice it. They didn't have to sit and wait on God. They didn't have to go to different people and do cold readings on them and such. I'm skipping ahead to the next couple of weeks. I'm so sorry. They didn't do that. They heard the voice of God clearly and distinctly. And they said what God was saying because God is not schizophrenic. God is not wrong. And when God speaks, it's not Fallible. Okay. So when you hear people talk like this or you read things like this, the first thing you, it would be good for you to ask is, where is Christ in this? Is this really focused on Christ? Is this truly the the spirit of prophecy that's being testified of Christ? Or is there some mixture here going on of truth with a focus on self that I'm really the victor here, that I'm really the one that's the champion? Um, that I'm I'm the one that's going to prevail in all of this and I'm being elevated and exalted or is someone else being elevated or exalted or are, are people being told to just trust the prophets and, and what's going on there? That's a good question to ask. So in Exodus 14, we can see that, and I also want to say this too, that context is key. So when we read Exodus 14, we see that this in fact is talking about, this is the account of the crossing of the Red Sea. And so beginning in verse one, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. Now, God did that on purpose. And he did that because he wanted, again, to address, in part, this false God. Verse 3, For Pharaoh will save the people of Israel. They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And he wanted them to know, first and foremost, that he was the Lord. Why? Because they were saying that Baal Zephon was the Lord. He was the Lord of the north. And he, they felt like they believed that he was the Lord over those waters. Well, he was about to show that he was the true living God yet again, after he had done all the other plagues and showed them and addressed their false gods, essentially is what was going on and also to get his people out of there and get them to to save them. Verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other ch- chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamped at the sea by Pi-Hehiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there because there are no graves in Egypt? That you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. You see, even in the passages like this, you can see. That there is the type and shadow here, the salvation of the Lord. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And I have gotten, when I have gotten the glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Verse 19, then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved before them from before them and stood behind them coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Can you imagine seeing this, walking through this, knowing that the Lord is displaying his power, his authority over his own creation and walking on dry ground. And you, a weak, pitiful person that's that's doubting and in unbelief, and you're walking ahead and seeing this take place before you. And in essence, this is, again, addressing this false God, but there's going to be something else that we can take from this that's really pointing back to redemption. So let's read on. Verse 23. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And you know what else is interesting too? I was uh, looking at a video late last night about the Red Sea and that they've done this was years ago. they have actually done some excavations, archaeological digs and such in the the Red Sea. And they pulled up um, what looks, it's coral. And, And the scientists are saying that the coral is very odd looking, meaning that it's taken on these weird shapes that it doesn't normally do. And some of them actually look like wheels. And when they look at the wheels, they are the, they look very much like the wheels that come from the time of the Egyptians on the chariots. And I was watching this video and it was just fascinating. I mean, you could see where they they said, look at this particular coral that's growing this way. It looks like the axle and you can see that it's round on the bottom and they showed it. A coral doesn't grow like that it was growing in a round pattern and looked like the spokes and and they said that over time that the pieces would and they were and there was random I mean it just looked like a battlefield they said at the bottom of the Red Sea in this particular area where they believe the crossing uh they can locate where the crossing took place where it's been so long they said that the uh that the The wheels and such would have deteriorated in the ocean because of the salt water, but the coral would have grown up around it and would have preserved it. So it's just fascinating to see that. Sorry to share that little thing. I kind of geek out on science as well. But anyway, verse 26, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting how that ended right there. So there's some typologies we need to talk about. This is the final. First of all, this is the final act of God delivering his people from slavery in in this time of, of them being enslaved in Egypt and the this, this story of essentially what we what we see here is the story of salvation and regem- redemption. Egypt represents sin. God delivers his people out of this bondage. The exodus from Egypt is a type and shadow of God's saving redemptive work that we see on the cross through Jesus Christ. Moses uh, Moses brought a physical salvation from physical slavery, whereas Christ brought a spiritual salvation from slavery to sin. You can see the picture here. When you begin to put the puzzle pieces together or you begin to connect the dots, you immediately begin to see this is a great example of what you can do when you look at the Old Testament is say, where is Christ in this? Where is Christ in this that we can see this being testified of? Passing through the sea it doesn't have anything to do with you walking on dry ground, or you having uh, listening to the the wind of God, or you being at the mouth of the water, and that your your location speaks for you. I mean, it's none of that. But the passing through the Red Sea is a symbol of a believer believer's identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are a couple passages I want to read to you. I want to look at First Corinthians chapter ten verses one through four. And this helps give us a little bit more understanding about this and and Paul talking about this and expounding on it for the Corinthian church. First Corinthians chapter 10, verses one through four says, for I want you to know brothers that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses. You see that again, type and shadow the old Testament, the the, uh, Israelites were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea we as believers in Christ are baptized into Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. You see that? You see how Christ is truly, it? truly, it's testifying. The whole scripture is testifying of Christ. This is beautiful. This is far better than that silly thing that I wrote that Charisma picked up from my blog a few years ago. Far better than that. I would much rather read Scripture and understand this and connect the dots between the New Testament and Old Testament like that than to hear some flowery word about how I'm going to walk on dry ground and how I'm going to, you know, I just need to hear the breath of God for myself and I need to do this and do that and almost tie in this mysticism, Gnostic type behavior in this and trying to to make it all about me and all the victory I'm going to have when it's really the victory of Christ, that we need to understand the victory that he conquered sin he conquered death he conquered the devil isn't that a far better thing to hear about and isn't that true prophecy isn't that true prophetic unction uh, w- and true prophetic words coming forth isn't that isn't that what we're supposed to be looking for here instead of some fresh word from someone that's trying to say that they can't hear god perfectly so but they're going to say that God said it anyway. Yeah. So Romans 6, 4, this is the last scripture I want to read to you as we're finishing up. Romans 6, 4 tells us we were buried therefore with him, with Christ by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. So I hope that this has been helpful to you today in looking at this. And again, from time to time, I will be looking at some old prophetic words that I've written, (laughs) and evaluating them. And though there was some truth in this, I hope that this gives you a picture for those that may continue to say, well, I want to listen to people that say they're prophets, or I want to listen to these prophetic words or read them. You need to be opening your Bible and looking at these things and testing every bit of it. And just because there's a little bit of truth in it doesn't mean that the whole, that it's really from God and it doesn't validate error it doesn't validate error. There is error in this word that I wrote, so this can't be from God. If this is from the Lord, that God knows no error. There's no sin in Him. There's no fallibility in Him. So this, though there, and though there can be some encouragement in this, it's still we should be going back to Scripture and getting our encouragement from the Word of God and understanding the Word of God and and until the time comes when i have plumbed the entire word of god and understood it in its entirety and i hope you get the gist of what i'm saying in that then as for me for myself personally i'm not taking any stock in any of these things that are being said and and signing ascribing god's name to them while still believing that there is f- a fallibility that can take place and that there's no reverential fear of the Lord that's being exhibited, and there's no directing back to Scripture in these things. And I certainly don't say it to be condemning. At the same time, there needs to be an acknowledgement of error that's taking place and deception that's taking place, and ultimately people need to be led back to the Bible. That's where the gospel is. That's where the truth of God's attributes are, His nature, His ways, His instruction, and we need to be making sure that we understand that understand that first and foremost and not craving these extra biblical words that really could be negating the truth of the word of God. So again, I hope this has helped you. And I look forward to being on here with you again next week as we look into a topic uh, that I hope that you're ready to hear about because it's going to be interesting to look at it and dissect it and really inspect it against the word of God. Be blessed today by this word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.